Hi, and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche area of interest that they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Gavin. Gavin, Hello. how are you? I'm doing great. How are y'all? I'm doing pretty good. You've I summoned me from the TikTok Most mask. of today awake. <laughs> Sorry? I spent most of today awake, so that's good. When we say most of today, do we mean like from kind of morning time or from midnight? From morning time. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Gavin, what are you here to talk to us about today? I did a little scrolling through the backlog of hyperfixations. Congratulations on two years, by the way. And I noticed there's... I, not a lot of train content on a podcast about hyperfixations, which I would argue is one of sort of the cornerstone things people seem to nerd out about. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily for you, I know too much about railroading in general. So we're going to we're going to f- probably dial down into one thing <laughs> and learn way too much about it today. Amazing. Such is the nature of the show. Yeah. All right. So you brought us trains. Why trains? Anna, Why have you picked it for today's episode? How did you first get into trains? Some random unnamed person in the bathroom of a Target in 1990-something, probably two or three, um... We, my mom was like about to leave the women's room with me, an infant at the time, or a toddler at the time. And some random lady came in and they struck up a conversation, as you do in a in the before times when you talk to people in, in public. Uh, <laughs> and apparently, she just sort of because she was looking at what she she. She interpreted me as a guy, obviously, because it's the 90s and it's either there's two gender options for a kid. Uh, She was like, oh, your kid must be into Thomas the Tank Engine. And my mom is like, what is that? Um, And then they ended up buying me a couple tapes and that ended up becoming sort of my thing as a kid. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as someone who still actively watches Thomas the Tank Engine, but sort of the craft of a show that was basically filming handmade model trains for, you know, five to ten minutes per episode uh, is stunning to look at. Like, and there's weirdly high quality electronic music in the original Thomas the Tank Engine. So I think there's like this confluence of creativity that happened in those magical uh, Ringo Starr and George Carlin narrated videotapes from the 90s that sort of cemented in my brain. Trains are kind of cool looking. Uh, And now (laughs) here we are. (laughs) I'm a 30-year-old in southern Indiana who has snobbish opinions that um, uh, steam locomotives designed in the UK tend to look better than the ones here in the United States, where the options are black and black. Hmm. Very much the yeah. uh, Henry Ford. You can have any color you want, so long as it's black. As long as it's black, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the man who killed trains, while also buying one for his own little personal restoration project. Like, like there you go. But yeah, um, that, yeah, that's like interesting because, like, I remember, like. As a kid, I don't think I ever watched much of Thomas the Tank Engine, but I do remember mm-hmm. like it kind of. Oh, I did. Around, I, I like I stand it. Like you know, like iconic, like a show about trains. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> but like, I remember. I very much remember it being around. So you mentioned you're saying like trains. You're saying like trains in the UK, like you know, look different and probably nicer to trains in America. Like, living in Ireland, like, we have our own train situation. Mm-hmm. But tell us a bit about what it's like over in the US. Um, I guess it would be not necessarily fair to characterize. Once you get into the time where diesels exist, then it's like, 
most st- locomotives look the same. I know there mm. are people who like diesels, and that's fine. Like, I, 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 I don't want to continue the beef started by Thomas over, like, this form of propulsion is cooler than the other, but, like, steam locomotives are a little <laughs> bit more primitive, and they have that cool romanticism to them. Uh, there were some American railroads back when we used steam locomotives that had different paint jobs, but the vast majority of the time, it was a big, just flat black machine that had a little logo on it somewhere, and that was it. It was very, very boring in its presentation. And then you look at the UK, where you have all these these rich greens and blues and reds, and like Thomas the Tank Engine might have been very saturated and childlike in its color schemes, but the the paint jobs on the locomotives are not super far from actual colors that were used uh, and sort of embraced that um, perhaps ill-advised decision for several railroads to be flashy with their colors that also would look worse when they got dirty five minutes after they rolled out of being washed. Uh, So here in the U.S., you know, where you're crossing hundreds of miles at a time with freight trains and whatnot, there was very much more of a boring aesthetic to most of the most of the rolling stock which i think sort of led me to romanticize what was built in the uk a bit more that and you know thomas being entirely built of that from a young age sort of embedded that in my head here in the u.s being interested in trains is sort of being interested in a bygone era because it's not really a thing you know we have one actual railroad that runs passengers and it's a corporation half owned by the government. I think Amtrak technically is half owned by the government or it's some like complicated nonsense, but there is, we have one passenger rail system and then there's a handful of like startup companies that have laid track between two cities and that they just go from one destination to the other. Like you can go from Miami to Miami to Tampa as it, um, and you pay an exorbitant ticket price for it. We don't really have passenger rail as a country. There are cities that have good inner city rail, like Chicago. You can get basically anywhere in Chicago by rail. You can do that in Seattle or New York. But um, once you get outside of those big cities that have their own subway networks or elevated train networks, the idea of taking a train doesn't really exist. You just see freight trains existing in the background when you're in, in that part of town where the freight yard may be. Oh, we lost night up. Nigel returns. Yeah. Welcome back. That was, um, something I noticed when I was in Denver, that there really doesn't seem to be any kind of, um, like travel by rail. Um, you know, like, the I can't remember what the name of the station is, but it's like the you know the main one in Denver, and it's like mm-hmm. so small in where the trains go. Like there was that Amtrak and stuff, and I remember asking my friend, being like that, because like she was really kind of like enthused with the fact that you can get across the entirety of the country in Ireland by train. You know, like you may have to switch mm-hmm. to a different and and stuff. And I know Ireland proportionally is smaller, but like the idea of being able to cross the country and go wherever you want. Now there are large parts of Ireland also that are not served, yeah, by by rail, like Donegal. Major population centers, I would think, are somewhat connected at least. Yeah, like you can go, you can go from Sligo to Dublin. Um, you can go from Dublin out to like Galway. Uh, to Cork and like places on there. You can go down the south. Um, you can go from Dublin to Belfast, but you can't go like northwest. You can't go mm-hmm. anywhere up there. But we did have train tracks that went like a hundred years ago. There was train tracks that went there, and we just decided to not use them anymore. Um, and now we're like, huh? I wonder about whatever will we do. I was going to crack a joke that. Uh, if you can't remember the name of a station in the United States, there's a 90% chance it's called Union Station. Um, and in mm-hmm. fact, the one in Denver is 
also called Union Station. Uh, having Incredible. Just up. We, you technically can go from New York City to Los Angeles, California by rail. It's going to take about 70 hours to do so. Uh, there will be there will be parts of the trip where there aren't sleeper cars, so you'll just be sitting in a seat for a few hours and then you'll transfer. Uh, and if you want to take a sleeper car uh, so that you can, you know, use a bed during that multi-day trip, it'll it'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, about $1,500 to $2,000, depending on what you get. Jesus uh, Christ. It's prohibitively expensive to use the only rail network in the United States to get across the United States instead of using a plane. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know, flight return flights to Mm -hmm. and from America cost less than that. Like, exactly. I went went to Denver for, like, 600 euro. And then, like, in the flight price breakdown it was like a couple hundred of that was for like taxes and 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 stuff you know like the actual flights itself wasn't the problem Mm -hmm. um and presumably that's even less when you're flying domestically within the u.s it's uh it's a complicated thing because like we used to have so much physical track laid down like post-civil war there was a lot of the united states that was serviced by hundreds upon hundreds of small companies that, you know, you know, rich guy number one owns a mine and he wants to get the stuff out of the mountain to guy number two who has a place that can process that. So they build some track and they get the, they get everything set up. And then there's just this little, little section that isn't actually owned by a larger company that is maintained by those two companies. And while that is not necessarily maintainable in the long term. Uh, there really wasn't much effort put into preserving sort of right of way for trackage in a lot of places. So areas that like might have been well served by the existence of passenger rail now um, don't exist anymore and have built o- been built over. And we have this massive country that could be served by rail pretty nicely. And it is like freight is moved by rail the majority of the time. It's not financially viable to stick a, a you know to stick a bunch of playstations on a plane to, to get them to market um it's mm. going to be it's going to be moved in a box car or it's going to be uh, cars rolling out of the factory are going to be put onto a train car and then moved to whatever city they need to be distributed to um it's just we have one company that runs passenger and there's no sort of that one company outside of a from a, a rail line that goes from about like Bo- Washington DC up to New York City and it serves Boston somewhere in there too. Amtrak owns that. That's what they can run high speed on. The rest of it is freight rail that Amtrak has begged, borrowed and pleaded to uh have permission to run trains on, which is why the times are so damn slow. We have to, you know, give way to freight and there are just f- four or five giant companies that own all the freight in the United States. That's kind of the problem with Norfolk Southern and the whole situation in Ohio right now. One giant company got to run itself like a giant company and safety stuff was put by the wayside. And here we are giant mushroom clouds over a small Ohio town. Hmm. Which is fab. Gosh. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, what's the hi- like? What's the U.S.'s history with rail like? Because I know, like, like the British kind of have the claim on, in a sense, what we consider like modern steam locomotives, right? You know, what like yes. the Rocket and Stevenson's uh, inventions, you know, and like, when did that first go to America? Because presumably, you'd have to like train up a bunch of the pun not intended yeah. um skilled workers to make tracks and lay the sleepers and rails and build locomotives there or ship parts across so like that it's is, a re- it, that's it seemed like a really it. like wait they shipped the trains across like wholesale 
so yeah, the the first railroads in the United States, I think that I, I can't be bothered to look this up while talking. Sorry, but uh, I, if memory serves, uh, the Baltimore and Ohio was the first sort of actually physically built and still kind of exists uh, trackage laid in the United States for business reasons. Um, so like it it really was just like business people in the U.S. Uh, several decades after the revolution, sort of tensions had calmed down, were going over to the UK and being like, hey, I want five of those. And then they would get shipped over. Um, I actually, by pure coincidence, have arguably the first built in America um, steam locomotives Wikipedia page open. Uh, it's not for good reasons, because it was also the first boiler explosion in the United States. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah, and... Um, this thing was uh, built in 1830. It's called the Best Friend of Charleston. Um, it is whatever you're imagining it looks like. It looks worse. It looks like a uh, a still for brewing alcohol yourself. It has wheels on it. Um, the problem with the Best Friend of Charleston was the safety valve that sort of lets out steam if too much is made uh, was annoying to the fireman of the Best Friend of Charleston. And he wanted to sort of store up steam to get up a hill faster so he decided to cheat the system by putting a plank on top of the safety valve and sitting on it to store up the steam uh so basically a dummy thick engineer uh exploded the first <laughs> locomotive built in the united states because he just sat on the safety valve until the boiler was too full and it blew up on him uh not the Amazing. best not the best first go of it but um yeah, the, 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 it basically was like people seeing, oh, there's this technology that can move thing to place faster than dragging a cart behind a horse. I, give me four, please. Um, and then we sort of, everything snowballed from there, and then there's hundreds of the damn things running around. And uh, people are either getting run over by them or being serviced by them. Okay. Did you, the duality... The, the duality of capitalism. <laughs> capitalism yeah, breeds pretty... innovation. <laughs> the, the, I will say, the first ever person to die Cap to Cap being run over by a train, I I got questions about this guy because, like, it was one of those. Um, it was in it was in England, and it was one of those situations where it was a steam locomotive and it had two like sort of freight cars with bad benches built into them for people to be like, oh, darling, we shall see the steam locomotive today. Uh, it was an exhibition. Everyone's there to look at this thing move at like 10 miles an hour left and then right a bit. Like, it's not like it was thundering along at 50 miles an hour and somehow a guy gets run over by this extremely loud, complicated machine. Like, I want to know what happened because I sincerely doubt history's recollection of he wasn't looking doesn't <laughs> that doesn't really summarize it well enough for me. Yeah, I don't know. Perhaps he was like lulled by the mystique of this new thing. I don't know because, like, at the same time, when you think of like you know one of the earliest films is is just a train approaching the camera and it scared audiences silly. Like, there seems to be this weird reverence and mythology around trains in the early days. But at the same time, I think if I didn't die by being hit by um, an old and steam locomotive, I would die of embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, ugh. Uh, you've actually nailed it. Knock me over. You've dialed into something that fascinates me, and it's the fact that railroading history is so romanticized that there are these sort of um there are these sort of narratives that get built around stuff to make them sound cool. Uh like arrival of train at I forget the name. Oh, the arrival of the train at La Ciotat, um, which is the the city in France that's being filmed in that specific clip you mentioned, which by the way, there's like a there's like an AI upscale of it that's at 60 frames per second that look that's basically like looking through a window to the 1800s and it's it's I recommend looking it up on YouTube it's a great watch. Um that clip was not like the first thing the I, hang on let me look up their names real quick. It's it's a pair of brothers who were like sort of 
they were it's the Lumiere brothers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. the Lumiere they made the done... moon with the yeah, telescope eye thing. Yeah. The that narrative was... of the idea of people seeing a train clip uh, and freaking out in the theaters had already existed in newspapers before that specific clip, but for some reason that narrative like latched onto it because it's sexy. It's like, oh my god, like the this new moving picture thing is so realistic. People thought a train was going to crash into the theater. Uh, or, you know, you, you flash forward to 1900 and you've got Casey Jones, the the legendary engineer who died saving everyone on the train because he had his hand on the brake. Like he was, he, he saw they were going to collide with a freight train that had like backed out onto the main line. And uh, he had his fireman jump to safety, but Casey stayed behind and kept his hand on the brake to save everybody. That's not how brakes work. <laughs> uh, the locomotive had air brakes, or at the very least, it had an emergency brake that could be notched. Um, if you if you go into the discussion area of Casey Jones's Wikipedia page, it is a literal decades-long conversation about different facets of his history because people in train nerd circles are so obsessed with the idea of glorifying the the past that you will get people who were like he bravely stayed to save everybody and then you go into the discussion area and you'll have like a, a more clear-headed nerd look it over and be like i think it probably is more arguable that in the moment the normal human being casey jones who's just working a normal job um probably sussed it out in his head that it might be less painful to stay in the cab instead of throwing himself out at 30 miles an hour. Like, maybe he felt like he was slowing down fast enough before the impact happened that probably he could survive it. Because there have been hundreds of collisions of this kind um, over the years in the United States at this point, and he's probably seen the aftermath of a few of them. Uh, so, like, there's this... The, the I won't say kids in school learn about Casey Jones, you know? Like, it, it's, a, it's a train wreck from the 1900s that had a particularly popular song that ha that was written about it but like it did have a little bit of impact in pop culture and certainly in the 1950s 1960s people sort of lionized this guy about he's he was a heroic engineer he saved all those people in his passenger train by staying there and keeping his hand on the brake and then um who uh for some reason, Johnny Cash had a album of folk songs, which means he'd had Johnny Cash covered the song about Casey Jones, uh, keeping his his legend alive a bit more. But like at the end of the day, his legend's based on a thing that mechanically wasn't super necessary, you know. Mm. Mm. That he was. I mean, he was just some guy. We're so obsessed with the captain goes down with the ship that even in the instance of effectively a bus that can't turn on its own, um, getting into a car wreck. Uh, I mean, we don't lionize the guy who had an opportunity to jump out of the bus before it hit anything um, for holding his foot on the e-brake longer. You know what I mean? Um, so with Casey, like, it's cool that this guy's sort of vision is remembered all these years later like the only reason a lot of people know he exists is because he's important enough to have a wikipedia article but there's such a desire to make the past interesting even when it already is that we have these people that are elevated to folklore stat when it's just a guy who died at work unfortunately yeah yeah. No, but like, I think it makes sense that Johnny Cash at least would have a song about him because, like, or at least cover a song about him because that was exactly. like his whole thing. Americana. Americana and the working man, you know, and I think that that forms like a really interesting, like, Part of Johnny Cash. I was about to say Johnny English. That's that's a spy play. That <laughs> that's a very different, <laughs> different, different Johnny. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, but like, you know, a different part of Johnny Cash's career or like an interesting one, because like you have this and then in opposition, you have John Henry, the steel driving man, mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's like, well, 
the advancement uh the advancement of like steel technology and stuff is um you know not necessarily not necessarily beneficial uh shall we say although that is like we're still keeping the we're still keeping the um railroads intact but we're just not having like mechanized implementation mm -hmm. of railroads mm. Which begs the question, how are our new railroads laid? Are they still rate, um, laid by hand now? Um, to an extent, uh, a, there are really cool machines that automate the process of replacing old pieces of track. Um, and uh, as you're laying things like concrete sleepers, there, it's certainly a super mechanized process. But at the end of the day, it is a crew of people sort of making the final decision where the thing goes but it's it's just that they're not using those giant tongs to like pick up a piece of steel and set it down mm. right it's sort of a marriage of both hmm Ireland, take note of this for when you decide <laughs> to reinstate all of our rail all of our railroads ah this Isn't is a fun? hot button issue yeah i uh, spent two years with a guy from Donegal as my roommate uh, Deglin, who's been on the podcast before, and this kind of, it, this was like a constant thing that came up, you know, where like we'd be discussing something, and then he'd be like, "Well, at least you just have a train," and I'm like, <laughs> "I can't really do it." Like, I would love for you to have a train. I would love for all of the um, uh, I would love for all of the country to be accessible by rail, because this then gets into the whole thing of like public transport uh, being a viable method of cutting down on carbon emissions and stuff. Because mm -hmm. um, either you have to pump things full of diesel or equally detrimental, you've got to chop down a bunch of trees and set fire to them um, if, it, if it's a steam-powered locomotive. Yeah. But, you know, like, if you can't cross the country, then you're going to have to go by bus or by car. Um Which is less enjoyable. It's less enjoyable, but it's. I will say, I would take having a car that I could, in theory, drive with my mind because I don't want to learn how to drive. <laughs> like, if the car could do it all, like, certain days over getting onto a packed train to go up for work, mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely take that. You know, like, or if the trains had, if the trains in Ireland had carriages where you could book out, you know, like those rooms you see in trains, you know, like the, the sleeper train uh, yeah. from London to Edinburgh, that type thing, yeah. where I could have yeah. one of those to myself. Um, that would be nice. That would be nice. I When we went to Amsterdam, this is another thing I'll get into, because, like, uh, Amsterdam, the public transport there was crazy, and the fact that you could go anywhere by train, like, you got off the train, or you got off the plane in the airport, and you went through security and whatever you came out and you could literally just go underground and there was the metro and it would mm -hmm. take you from um what's the name of the airport amsterdam i don't know um but then anyway you would go straight there to amsterdam central the main train station um and like we we got on the, the thing and there was we were able to just go into the first class compartment because there was no one there because our flight had been delayed nearly three hours from like five o'clock then plus two hours time zone difference or whatever it was uh and so we were only like getting in uh you know like coming on one o'clock or whatever um mm. and so we were just like yeah we're going to slip into first class <laughs> um but that's <laughs> as you do that's what I, yeah that's what i would like like i think uh amsterdam central is a really interesting example of like how you can implement public transport and stuff in mm -hmm. one central location have you been have either of you been to the amsterdam central uh train station no i haven't okay so i spent most of my time in amsterdam being like oh my god this is the future like the bathrooms in the airport oh my god it's the future yeah um but you go there and you like you can get the train the main train which will take you to the airport or you know you can go to like the hague or any other, you know, city or big town or whatever in the Netherlands. And then you've got like those platforms and then you can go up slightly 
And then you've got lighter rail ones, which will take you, you know, like we were out in the suburbs. That's where we were renting our place. Um, and so, you know, you've got these tram options, which are all around the city as well. Uh, yeah. And they all go from go through there. And then you can go up like onto the roof, essentially, or like, you know, like up a couple stories and out onto like this flat thing. And it's just road like the buses drive up there and it's just on top of the station and then they go down and around and then you've got like taxis and bike ranks all in this one area. Um, and I don't, I don't know of anywhere else that's, that's done it in Europe because I haven't really traveled much of Europe, but presumably there's nothing like that in America either. There, the closest you're going to get to something like that is an airport in a city that has sort of integrated public transport, which is a magical experience. Like uh, the closest I can think of to something to that was the time I flew to Seattle for uh, a convention. And it was a good 15 minute walk from where I got off the plane, but it was 15 minutes walk from getting out of the plane to getting my luggage and then stepping onto a light rail and then going to a station that was like three blocks from the hotel I was staying at downtown. Um, and if, compare that to, say, if you were to fly into the city I live in, which has a population of 110,000 people, uh, you get out of the plane, and then you step outside of the tiny airport, and your options are call a, call a ride share, or have already arranged somebody to drive to get you. They're... they're is not really a bus that serves the airport. Um, and the airport is also out in the middle of nowhere. Like there, it physically is impossible to walk from the airport to downtown of the city because it is about, uh, six, seven miles away. And there it's connected by a major highway at that. So there are no sidewalks. Mm. <laughs> um, like things are, you get these cities, that are like cities with air quotes around them where they do have bus networks, but it's like a bus that serves way too many stops and it takes over an hour for it to cycle through. And there's only physically two buses doing that route. Um, case in point, there's a bus that comes by my apartment complex that uh, goes to a, it has a stop at a grocery store. That's like a, a, a mile away from me, but that's the wrong way on the line and the but there's no like counter circle bus so if you want to go to the grocery store uh on this bus you would get on it go through a college that the bus is meant to service um for half an hour and then you'll get to the grocery store that's like less than a mile away from where you started um and also that bus station isn't a bus station there's no cover no benches no nothing it's just that we we all know on this side of town those parking spots in that general area, that's where the bus generally pulls into. Uh, and I think that's part of why trains fascinate me so much is that they are a sign that if you build the stuff for the people correctly, you have this magic system of machines that are just moving tons of people from where they need to be to where they need to go. And it even offers the ability to just go wherever you want, whenever you want, much like the lie told by auto manufacturers about the freedom of cars, you know? Um, yeah. I see, you see these cities and you see these stories that, that romanticize like, oh, back in the day, you could just get on a train to Chicago for 20 cents or whatever. And like, yeah, under at, at the end of the day, those stories are sort of covering up the darker side of it. Like, one of the reasons why the ticket was so cheap is because uh, Pullman cars were all serviced by um, extremely underpaid uh, black men who were hired as porters. And the idea of a Pullman porter was a thing that, like, it was a person that uh, if you were just a, a white person on a train, you just kind of just ignored them until you needed something from them, like a second class citizen thing uh, uh. on the nicest rail cars. But, like, for all the sins and horrible shit that happens with trains, you can see through that to like, if people were just paid decently, if we made humane working conditions for these people, we could have a thing that's great and works. Uh, sort of a, a hopeful ideal is what I strive for when thinking about railroads. Cause if you, 
if you look at it too sort of cynically, you start to see the strings of all the places where things used to suck or currently suck, like case in point, mm. what just happened in Ohio, um, which itself is depressing because that's not a particularly unique incident. It's just the scariest one that's just happened. Like there have been five or six different hazmat spills that were as scary looking in various places, but like they happened Jesus. in more industrial areas or in other city in like main cities, like sort of rail yards. So it was like less terrifying from a, it's going to leak into a major river kind of way. Mm. Um, so they didn't get as much press and this one yeah. probably will be forgotten in a few months. Uh, same as the others. And that's, that sucks. Uh, but mm. we have the tools, we have the technology, we have these cities in other places around the world where like they had the idea to build a main rail station, like in Amsterdam or in, uh, uh, Gare du Nord in, uh, in Paris, which is, I think the busiest train station in Europe. Um, where you just sort of have this hub where you stick all the trains and the loudness and the the fumes and whatever. You just stick all that in one big building and you let everyone mm. get on, get off, and then they all connect by light rail and bus and taxi and whatever to the rest of the city. And mm. you just get it done. Yeah. Like, it's like you said, we have the tools to make things better because, like, the way that public transport is in Ireland it's kind of a funny one because like the way I see it like a lot of our public transport is just kind of broken like yeah um but I'm studying in Dublin at the moment and some of my course mates are from America and at least two of them that I can remember off the top of my head have said to me oh the public transport system here is just so much better than it is back home and I'm like really Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's wild to me. Yeah, no, for, especially because, like, for for America, the land of, like, everything is more, more, more. Mm-hmm. It's mm. surprising that they're, like, de- like, you know, deficit in this regard. Like, obviously, like, they're behind in, you know, things like funding school systems and cutting down on gun violence and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, for something as simple as traversing a country that's as big as America is. Yeah. It's really surprising. Because, like, your whole thing... Sorry to, like... Sorry to, uh, synecdoche you as America. But <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Charlie Kaufman is furious. Um, <laughs> but, like, your whole thing is unity. You know, like, the United States of America. It's one big thing. The big lie but of like, America. It's a melting pot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but my but like my, my argument is if that space of land was divided up into, you know, normal country-sized countries, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be nearly as egregious if you didn't have some sort of, you know, the way that the uh, interrail system works in Europe. You know, it'd be like, well, that's a thing to negotiate between other countries. But like, you've got centralized government. Um, And I know that there's meant to be a separation of church and state, but there shouldn't really be a a separation of state and travel. Yes, absolutely. We have a department of transportation. (laughs) You would, you would, you would think. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, to to move away from less politically church, I feel like every time <laughs> we get we get a topic, Ali and I are always like, we live in a society. That's, we live um, in a society. That's the secret of trains. Anytime you talk about trains, it'll always circle back around to, and that's how capitalism screwed us. Yeah, that that is an interesting point. Now that you bring it up, because like trains sort of came out like as a really working class like benefit of the industrial revolution like yeah we also got cars with the invention of the internal combustion engine and and carl benz making the first car Mm -hmm. but like there was more there's, there's more of a like working class association with trains be it from like you know groups of people working on trains or the fact that like public transport 
could bring people across much further distances for cheaper. Mm -hmm. Mm. And now we're at the stage of, especially in the UK, where that all started. Some of the like most bitter fights for workers' rights and equal pay and pay rises is with uh, rail work strikers, you know, yes. and now they're striking uh, in solidarity or in solidarity with like NHS workers and stuff. But it seems that the history of rail is indelibly tied to working class people, and that's where the lie of capitalism is. Because if you want to build. A, something like a rail network you need a fleet of people who are going to work some pretty difficult jobs or some pretty yeah. repetitive jobs and maintain it and and kind of to capitalism's detriment like those people in the 1800s and in the early 1900s uh fully recognized that they needed to unionize like rail rail workers are some of the most unionized people in the United States, like in, back in the steam locomotive days, you had an engineer's union, you had a fireman's union, you had a, like a union for conductors. Like it wasn't just that there was a railroad union, there was unions within them for, for mm. those specific jobs. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of uh, collective bargaining action in the United States was in the late 1890s when there was this strike because workers at the Pullman um at the Pullman uh coach manufacturing company who were getting paid next to nothing and they were basically being suckered into living in a model town where their rent would be cut out of their pay. <laughs> uh they they were like we're getting not paid enough and several rail unions uh did a strike with them and that strike escalated to the point where Chicago, the the nation's rail hub at the time basically shut down like food was rotting in boxcars. Uh, the, the stockyards where all the meat in Chicago was processed were screwed because the things weren't moving. And it was purely because these unions said, we're not, we are not going to drive a train that has a Pullman car on it, which given that Pullman was the de facto luxury car uh, that you would choose for your railroad to have passenger cars to sell decent tickets it meant most trains didn't roll for a while. Uh, it got to the point where there was government intervention and the National Guard was sent out. People were shot in the streets over this. Um, Jesus. It was, it was massive. It was a lot. And it happened in the 1890s, so like, why would people remember it? But that the ghost of that is why the government got so scared about this latest almost strike that was a few months ago where Congress decided it was illegal for them to strike and we'll give you one sick day. <laughs> uh, mm. That's what they're thinking of. They're thinking of the fact that like you can easily ignore trains until it comes time for them to stop. And until you don't for have the, them. Like... It's the second you don't have them, then it's not just that the playstations are late, it's that the train that runs orange juice from uh, Orlando up to New York every single day because New York drinks a lot of orange juice. When that's not moving, there's no orange juice. And then there's no milk. And then there's no bread. You know, like, everything mm. breaks down pretty quickly. Yeah. It's a, a shockingly potent example of, like, what people can actually do when they decide to boycott something. Um, you know, because, like, there's so many examples in today in today's world where we're being asked to boycott things and to put and to like vote with our, 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 our wallets and things like that. Not, mm -hmm. not just with Hogwarts legacy and mm. it's ties to JK Rowling, but things like um, the boycott divest sanctions where people yes. were encouraged to not purchase things which were uh, created by, or like money went to support uh, Israeli businesses, which were oppressing uh, you know, oppressing and like actively killing people in um, Palestine. Yeah. But like, everyone is like, it's a tricky line to walk because like, there's a certain amount of, there's a certain amount of things where like, people will use them or will purchase them regardless. Um, mm. You know, like, yeah, your, your phones are made from like, you know, 
not particularly great labor conditions um mm. but people will continue to buy them uh and it will continue to fund that thing uh but like it's it's good to see i think that like it can work if we all band together although i'm not hopeful for something on that level um you know or even like the original boycott like boycott um the word boycott is was the name of an Irish landlord. Um, yes, mm-hmm. which I think is great. His name was Charles Boycott, uh, <laughs> and I like I like that they took his name because they just like he wanted to like raise the price for tenants to rent off of his land. Well, he was English, but he was you know renting land in occupied Ireland. That sounds and, about, that sounds the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they were like, "Well, we're not having this." So he was like a, a like a, a shop owner, and they were like, we're not going to buy any of your goods. And people banded together. Um, I, you know, like our, our world seems a bit too fractious for that to happen again. Yeah the the efficacy of uh, boycotts is sort of undermined by the, one by such uh, sentences as "there is no ethical consumption under capitalism." Ignore the fact I don't understand what that ca- what that means anymore. Uh, mm. it, organized labor can do things, but it's because of that first word, organized. Um, it's difficult to do Twitter campaigns that get people actively doing stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and then when you have people like Mick Lynch in the UK going on on, um, you know. A national, uh, a national pulpit, you know, at, at events, or he's on, uh, you know, he's in the news media doing interviews and stuff. Like he's actively being vilified by people, um, not just, not just uh, people like Pierce Morgan, but you know, the you know the newspapers and people who aren't, for some reason, in in favor of giving everyone <laughs> an increase in their wages. Controversial. What a concept! What a concept! Wow. Yeah, they're like, they're like, oh, the concept of a rising tide, you know, raising all ships. Mm, no, I don't like that. Uh, like for some re- re- for some reason, I'm gonna make up on the spot. Yeah, exactly. Like the most sort of spurious reasons. Um, uh, you know, like when you actually put them to any kind of strenuous or researched questioning, uh, mm. like they don't really have stuff to back it up. They're like, well, uh, um, and it kind of comes back to this idea that, like, yes, a raising or a rising tide raises all ships equally, but a um, sinking ship raises all rats equally. Mm-hmm. Mm. What does that? phrase mean actually i i came up with this (laughs) (laughs) right here now no it's not an episode of um nanny og's book club but it's the concept of like well like disaster is going to bring everyone out uh you know like Mm. it's it's just the opposite of this big windfall or improvement being beneficial to everyone but like disaster people will come out uh equally but like in a negative sense you know like when there's a recession that's when billionaires make most of their money because they're able to buy a property real cheap and sell it high. You know, like that's when all yeah. the rats come out. Um, mm, that's true. No, that's true. But yeah, I feel like it's like you said, there's like, it's, it's kind of like, there's a kind of, like it's like two statements can coexist, which is that like one, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And two, like you still have to have some like you should still have some kind of like i suppose awareness of where your money's going yeah yeah because our world now has necessitated that like we can't communicate with people anymore without phones um yeah or you know, like our uh, our our cars are manufactured in unsafe working conditions, or you know, exploitative working conditions and things like that. Like our hand is being forced, but to turn a blind eye is negligent and harmful. Exactly, mm-hmm. especially when 
talking about things that have ramifications, there's choices to be made. Like, cars are made in unsafe working conditions. Teslas are famously made in unsafe working conditions. Tesla Teslas they're, will they're kill child dolls. Exactly. And, like, if that's the case, perhaps we choose something besides a Tesla. Perhaps oh we, my god. Perhaps we play Wizards 101 instead of Hogwarts. <laughs> perhaps we go play any other open world video game instead of Hogwarts Legacy, you know. Like, or like maybe you go to another co shop that isn't like Shein. Like Exactly. Like because I know they're all bad, but like at a certain level it's kind of like anywhere else, anywhere else. Like I went seven years without using Amazon. Like mm. I I was on Amazon. I I stream on Twitch. I was on Amazon-owned platforms, but I wasn't partaking of two-day shipping as much as everyone else. And that that mm-hmm. doesn't make me better than anyone or anything. But it's like you can have convictions and you can stick to them and feel good about them. Uh, you can make yeah. You can make like- you you can be part of the solution in just doing small things that you stick to. It doesn't have to be that you go out and magically fix HS2 tomorrow and save England's rail system. Uh, <laughs> uh, it can, as it nice can be as that, little As things. nice as that would be. It, 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 as nice as it would be. Every week I log on and see a new tweet about how more of HS2 has been lopped off. Yeah. Um. But it's also like you just have to remind me when you talk to a Tesla being cartoonishly, mm-hmm. like essentially cartoonishly evil, cartoonishly dangerous. So do you remember the first trailer that came out for Tesla being an autonomous vehicle where it was like driving along on the roads and whatever in the city. And there was a person behind the wheel <laughs> and it said at the bottom, all right, so this is the first thing when Tesla was first like launching its autonomous things. Like Tesla is an autonomous vehicle and was at the mm. time. But it said disclaimer, this person like the person behind the wheel is not driving the car. He's there okay. for legal for legal reasons. Like at that time you couldn't have an unmanned car on the road. Yeah. Yeah. But for sure. the thing was, now, like uh, within the last couple of weeks or whatever, a Tesla engineer was like, no, that dude was driving the car. Because it was doing stuff that like Teslas can do now, but could not do back then. Like they their AI then, yeah. like was not programmed to recognize red lights and slow down for them and stop. Things like that. And so like a Tesla engineer or an ex-Tesla engineer now knowing um Elon Musk's somewhat um Caligulan temperament, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Uh mm. probably ex ex-Tesla employee. It was like no, yeah. that dude. That dude was just driving. Uh, it was a scam. It was all. It was all a ruse. Which yeah makes sense given I've seen TikToks of people who uh, intentionally hang a piece of orange cloth off the back of their vehicle because Tesla cameras will register that as a safety cone and start breaking. <laughs> like that. That's how mm. not finished these things are. <laughs> yeah. And that's also like his solution to trains is this hyperloop thing it's run by to the boring stick a company. Car in a hole. That thing so stresses bad. me out. That thing stresses me out. I saw a video of it like what when it came out like we were like what like two years ago or something. I haven't a clue. Time isn't real. Um, I saw a rumor that because the throughput is so bad in the Vegas one they built, they're gonna stick a light rail train in the tunnel. <laughs> But he, like the mm. thing is, it's not even autonomous vehicles that's down there. Nope, it's essentially it's a just a taxi rank. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like an Uber. You get in with a bunch of other people. Like it's a ride sharing thing. He hasn't solved the problem whatsoever. I'm, I'm just. It's frustrating. Yeah, like to divert briefly to dunking on Elon Musk because like <laughs> now. In this podcast, we don't have to like quote retweet his tweets and give him interaction because that's another thing. Oh, my tweets aren't getting enough interaction, so I'm going to manipulate the algorithm to show them three times as much. What sort of a spoiled, pampered man baby 
can't just shut up and live off of his father's blood diamond money. Excuse me, blood emerald money. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, yeah. Oh sorry, what color is your Tesla? I can hear the comments already. Um and and for and obviously for legal reasons, all of this is like <laughs> joke, joke, parody, satire in Minecraft, etc., yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. We're only me- we're only messing, is what I'm saying for legal reasons. No, I'm not. <laughs> I mean this. This is my declaration of war. Like, if Elon Musk wants to come at me, come at me. Well, like, you know what? Like, at the three. It requires him listening to the podcast. <laughs> Step one, we win. Step one, we win. Because the key is to annoy enough Elon Musk fanboys that they have to listen to the show to pinpoint what they find wrong with it and then try and dunk on us. And by that time, we've already got the engagement. Our numbers are up, baby! We make no mm. money from this show, baby! Uh, <laughs> the joy of podcasting. So trains, huh? Trains, yeah. indeed. Um, do you have a favorite type of train? Um, I've got, I've got a couple things open here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide if... I want to go easy. The The trick here is you sound like a hipster if you're like, um, these are too popular. But like, <laughs> if you are someone listening to this and you're still here, first of all, wow, congratulations for sticking around this long. Second, thanks for sticking you, around, baby. <laughs> if you heard me rambling about how British locomotives tend to look nice back in the steam days, uh, the most popular steam locomotive in the world is flying scotsman like so so popular that the name of yeah. the route it ran is now the name of the locomotive uh flying scotsman has all the money in the world dumped into it even though it's not necessarily that important uh i think it's gorgeous it it every paint job it's had looks pretty solid on it um that that it can be your first you know baby's first cool lo- steam locomotive mallard you know fastest steam locomotive ever blah 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 uh it looks great it's got this cool sloped streamline look to it back when streamlining was sort of in vogue uh if you want to start looking at cool stuff in the united states there's number 611 canadian national 611 i think it was canadian national um if you look up Steam Locomotive 611, you're going to find a gorgeous streamlined steam locomotive that lives in Pennsylvania right now. It has um, probably the deepest whistle I can think of right now. Uh, it has a big throaty, like low tone, I think it's seven chime whistle. Uh, it might not be. The, the steam locomotive they based the Polar Express on, if you want that, that's 1225 Pierre Marquette. It's up in Michigan. Um, if you've watched the Polar Express, it's that they literally just sort of <laughs> copied it <laughs> for the movie. In fact, Love even that. down to the fact that its number is Christmas. That was sort of a happy accident that its number was twelve twenty-five. Amazing. Those oh. are some good starter points. Yeah. I mean, have you ever had the have you ever had the pleasure to go on a high speed train, either like uh, the TGV? in france or like a bullet are bullet trains really a thing in the states because they're not here although a local politician wanted to put one from dublin (laughs) to uh the south cork carry area for some inexplicable reason Um, i think i remember i think i remember this it was one of the healy rays like who are just they're like insane but in like a weird like uncle way we you know we have a boondoggle project in the United States to build a high-speed rail system in, in California. They picked a ridiculous route that costs way too much money, and it's basically bridges or tunnels the whole way. It was the worst idea. So there there would be a, a bullet train sort of speed networks. There is one high-speed rail in the United States right now, and it's that line from New York to Washington, D.C., Boston-ish. Uh, on Amtrak. I have not been on it, unfortunately. But also, it costs like a lot to ride. It, like, it costs a good hundred ish dollars to get a ticket on the mm-hmm. Acela, um, which, you know, in, in Japan, if you ride the Shinkansen, that's about a hundred bucks to go from 
Tokyo to wherever. The bullet trains are expensive, but they also get the job done faster than planes in some cases. Uh, There you go. Here in the United States, that's a little different. I think I'd like to go on one of those. Um, it would be fun. Like, yeah. I've seen videos of the ones in Japan, like the the bullet train, and like mm-hmm. it's like it's video from uh, like the, a station that it's not pulling into, just like it blowing past. Oh um, yeah, the pass by ones yeah. are great. Yeah, just cool. If you uh, if you ever want to just sort of uh, imagine a good future, uh, there is a you can look up Tokyo live cam on YouTube. It's usually one of the top three options. There is this live. It's the channels literally called Tokyo live camera. But there's this one angle they have that overlooks sort of a nice part of Tokyo where you can see a highway. You can see um, a sort of resident, not residential street, but sort of a lower like 20 mile per hour street that just sort of weaves along the riverside there's also a light rail that's elevated over that small road and then you can see just the yard of an actual busy tokyo station um so you get to see all the commuter trains pulling in and there's the shinkansen line with like the bullet trains coming in and out so you get to basically whatever time of day you're tuning in you get to see sort of the ebb and flow of Tokyo as one of the busier cities for transport in the world just operates. And it's like, wow, it's not just that these things could exist. They do. (laughs) And they work. Amazing. And just to add an extra bit of uh, adorableness to it, there is a, uh, you mentioned the Caledonian sleeper earlier, the, the overnight train from London to Edinburgh. Um, In Japan, there's, a similar train and for whatever reason it's like a it, it's a unique locomotive and has this like paint job that's different from everything else um i think it's called like the the sunrise express or something like that when it passes by in the morning on that webcam every now and then if you're there at that time and a person is on they will use the emoji for that locomotive and say hi to it like it's just this cute little like someone is watching it's it's adorable that is really sweet. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up, unless you have anything right. else. Works for me. Cool. Uh, Gavin, where can we find you? Is there any social media, anything else you want to share? Or... Uh, I am. Uh, my sort of streamer side of things is uh, Gavin G. Wiz, G-A-V-I-N, the letter G, and then W-H-I-Z. Um, that's my TikTok. That's my streamer, uh, Twitter name. Uh, but if you want to find like normal me where I probably rant about trains on occasion, my <laughs> sort of official Twitter is, uh, at Gav Gaddis, uh, G-A-V. And then my last name Gaddis. Uh, that's, that's about it. Goofygay.info will get you to my, to my Twitch, uh, account for random streaming stuff, uh, including a recent stream where I, and <laughs> played a game where you just build a model railway in VR. <laughs> Amazing. One uh, might say I... I'm on brand at times. Yeah. The synergy is incredible. <laughs> Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me mainly on Twitter at spicy Nigel, where recently uh, I've been tweeting about um, cool guests that we're going to be interviewing on Thursday. We've gotten confirmation on that. So that's exciting. Um, hey. Crossing 5,000 listens on both uh, Hyperfixations and my fiction show, Among the Stacks. I was doing an awful lot of uh, tweeting about Leonardo DiCaprio recently. <laughs> um, As you do. Like th- three separate uh, tweets about. I, I came up with a fictional extract from Enoch Burke's diary, which I just. It was so funny. It includes the line, I walked the streets of Castle Bar, whipping myself. These impure thoughts will be with me no longer. Amazing. You can find me uh, on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You can mainly find me on Twitter at AliCat underscore Ali spelled like Alleyway, cat spelled with a K. And you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-O-Y underscore K underscore Keegan. You can find the podcast uh, Hyperfixations P on Twitter. 
or at Hyperfixations Pod on Instagram, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or in the belly of the beast, wherever. If you like the show and would like to come on to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. If you like the show, tell a friend. If you didn't, nobody likes a fucking narc. Still <laughs> <laughs> so gets a laugh. I, I appreciate the hostile energy. <laughs> and that is all for this week. Gavin, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Signing off. <laughs>